All right, welcome everyone to the Checkmate podcast. Understand, this is the tenth episode. Um, I know it's been a while. It's been a while, but we had to focus on a couple other things before we jump in back in the political pool. And yeah, thanks for everyone who's been listening. Our last episode, we spoke to Alexis Gaff about the state of Jamaican prisons. So if you want to know more about that on a more um, administration level and a more historical context, you can check out that episode. It's a great episode. And today, we're not going to talk about Jamaica, right? We're going to talk about the region, right? We're going to jump ship outside of Jamaica. And if you listen to our last um, Lest You Forget episode, we spoke about the Trinidadian Coupe of 1990. So you can see we actually have to go more region and not just singularly Jamaican. Even though it's a Jamaican producer and Jamaican run and owned um, what a company, institution, something that word there's a word for it but it's not it but yeah um <laughs> so one of the things that's been a hot topics um happening in the caribbean is the guyanese election it's been going on for a while a while close to four months um jamaica had a foot in it because of our former prime minister bruce golding he was one of the persons who was like oh, in charge of overseeing that election and up to today like we don't know. You know, every 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 day is a new report come out of who win. At this point, it's a whole movie, like cinematic movie. At this point, so it seems just about right. We have someone who can give more context as to what is happening, what happened, what went wrong, what's the confusion about, right? And our guest today is um Ravin Singh. He's a Guyanese journalist. And um, very impressive. He came highly recommend, you know, highly recommend. So when we say oh, we're in for a treat, we're gonna learn something today. Understand? So Ravin, just for our listeners, can you just introduce yourself, please? All right. So hi guys. Um. So first, allow me to say thank you for having me on your podcast. Um. It's actually good to be here and you know share my experience. Um and my opinions and facts, of course, of what's happening in Ghana's election, because naturally it's not, uh, or the consequences of what is happening in those elections extend beyond Guyana, and it has severe implications for the region. So, you know, I commend you on, uh, on moving beyond Jamaica to look at what's happening in Guyana. Yeah, man, understand. All right. So, Guyana election, right, was held on the 2nd of March this year. Um, yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Today's what date? The 25th. Uh, we don't know what going So, can you break it down as best as possible as to what happened on that day of the election and why, why is there a confusion as to who is the winner of that election? All right, so allow me to say, first of all, that the election has not been concluded, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The final, the final stage for the conclusion of the election would be the declaration of a winner, which would be the official declaration of who would have won the election, and then you have the swearing-in of a president. Now, neither of those um, has happened as yet, and so... the. Uh, the process, the electoral process um, has not been completed. Now, what you had was um, 
So the election, by and large, is you can separate it into three major um, areas, right? Um, the first would be pre-electoral events. So that would be on the lead up to election day. Then you would have what happens on election day, which was March the 2nd, and then post-election -elec um, events. And so you had some contention in the lead up to election day. Uh, there were some reservations with regard to house-to-house -house registration and whatever. Eventually, all the parties agreed, um, you know, to what was decided on. Um, and so they went into the election uh, with their full consent, you know, to participate. All of them saw the process as having been free and fair. Um, all the parties, well, I'm, I'm speaking now on election day. Mm -hmm. um, after, the, after the close of polls, you had all parties, including the incumbent, um, the government, you had the opposition party. Those are the two major parties. Mm -hmm. You had all the small parties, uh, top officials from those parties would have agreed collectively, including the diplomatic missions, including the elections body. All, all stakeholders would have agreed that the polls were free, fair, and credible. The voting process, that is. So, and the two major parties, they have representatives in all polling stations. So I think they had about 2,339 polling stations across the country. Mm -hmm. So how Jamaica is divided into 10, into, I think, 13 parishes? Oh, 14 parishes. 14, good. We have what we call um, regions, administrative regions. And mm -hmm. so our country is divided into 10. Okay. And so we had, at the close of polls, what happens is they elect they at each polling station you would have what they develop um it's called a statement of poll now they would count the ballots in that polling station and that statement of poll is a, is a is a piece of paper and it would provide a summary of what went on at that polling station so it will tell you how much valid votes were cast um you know how much spoiled ballots which party got how much votes. And so at the 2,339 polling stations, you would have this being done. So in essence, you would have 2,339 statements of poll, single pieces of paper. Of course, those are coded and stuff, right? Those are printed abroad. And so those are in the possession, the original copies are in the possession of the Elections Commission. And so they would make copies at each polling stations and they would distribute it to the parties. And so they would put it in a conspicuous place, which means publicly okay. after the close of polls, mm -hmm. after they would have counted all the votes and stuff, they would publicly display it where that polling station is. So when you would have voted and they would have finished counting the votes, you can actually go back to your polling stations to see how much votes the party you voted for got, how much the other party got, and that sort of thing. And that has to be done at every single polling station. Okay. What you had was nine of 10 of the electoral districts being counted without an issue. Right, those are tabulated mm -hmm. using those statements of poll because the law stipulates you have to use those statements of poll to um, tabulate the votes. Okay. Um, and so we you had was the largest electoral district. So that's where the city is, or the capital rather, mm -hmm. um, and it's the largest city. 
um, which is Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Now, that's situated in Electoral District 4, okay. right? Mm -hmm. What you had happening there now was when they brought in those statements of poll for Electoral District number 4 at the central point, they were following what the law requires, which is to tabulate those. And in tabulating it, you have to publicly display it so that all stakeholders can see, all the parties can see what the numbers are on those statements of polls. Okay. What you had happening there was after 400, so I think there were 800 and something of those in Electoral District 4, after they would have reached about 400 and something, the, the, the elections official who is in charge of that process, he departed from the law. So when the law... Re, where the law requires him to publicly display it so that everyone can see the numbers written on that document and then you insert it into a, a chart to be to be tabulated he abandoned that process and so he brought out a spreadsheet with numbers and so what his argument was was that he took these statements of poll and he put the numbers into a spreadsheet no one knew the origin of that spreadsheet now when he He's calling the numbers from a spreadsheet as opposed to the official document which he ought to have been using. Those numbers did not match what the other parties had. Wait, wait, and wait. So... wait. <laughs> One minute. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. this Jenna, right, he's supposed to display mm -hmm. the numbers and be yeah. like, all right, before we tabulate yeah. it, this is the numbers. He never do that. He just, he just do it on film one time, film own self in private, and then come up with some yeah, numbers but... which. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, so right. we have, you have a single room, right? You have a single room mm -hmm. and everybody is in there. All the party representatives, all the foreign observers. Mr. Golding was actually in that room too because okay. they would be witnessing, witnessing the process, right? So mm -hmm. Mr. Golding saw these things happening. And so they're supposed to be seeing, what they're supposed to be seeing is these persons publicly showing these statements of poll, because remember these statements of poll originate from the polling station, right? So that's an official document that has official numbers. Now, for some reason or the other, this guy just decided, so his name, I'm, I'm gonna share his name. His name is Claremont Mingo. Mm -hmm. For some reason or the other, he just stopped showing those official documents and what he instead introduced was a spreadsheet, uh, an Excel spreadsheet with numbers which he said he extracted from the statements of poll. So, I mean, he was in charge of the process. So, I mean, no one could have, you know, argued with him. Now, when he's calling these numbers from the spreadsheet, the numbers are not matching the, the, the copies of the statements of poll that the other parties have, that the observers have. And of course, he's refusing to show what his SOPs have. Now, the funny thing about those numbers is that those numbers were inflated and there's actually documented evidence of this. I mean, you can just Google this and you'll see the mainstream media has publicly exposed this. Mm -hmm. What you had happening was this guy was inflating numbers for the current, for the government, the incumbent APNU-AFC, okay. and deflating numbers for the opposition. So in one polling station, Right. Um, I mean, there's evidence online. I, I, I just don't I think time permits for me to, you know, mm -hmm. go through that. Understood, understood. Um, I, I even have photographs in my phone where 
you know, this guy is calling, for instance, one one polling station, the APNU AFC might have gotten 30 votes and the opposition PPP might have gotten 50 votes. Mm -hmm. This guy is calling numbers like, oh, APNU AFC, 60 votes. So he's inflating their number by 30 and then he's deflating the opposition by probably 10, 20 votes. Right? And that's what you had happening. And so the opposition now, chaos erupted. And so the opposition, um, they protested and they demanded the use of the SOPs. All the international observers demanded it. And so they went to the court. Mm -hmm. And the court ruled that he ought to be publicly showing these documents in keeping with the law. He went back. He refused to again. He said the court didn't demand him to do that. So they went back to the court a second time. The chief justice instructed him that he has to do it okay. and that's what she ruled in the first instance this guy went they moved the location um to the elections commission headquarter he went he, i don't know what he created he took a bed sheet and he put it over a plyboard a piece of plyboard he put a bed sheet over it and he was projecting the image of the sop so small that those who were in attendance could not verify the number on them because they were too small. And he continued what he was doing, inflating and deflating numbers significantly. So he made two declarations. Now, a declaration is who you're declaring to have won that district, right? And mm -hmm. the number of votes the parties would have gotten. Mm -hmm. First declaration um, was that the government, which is the APNU AFC, would have won. And that was made on March 4th. And then uh, after the series of court actions and so, um, that landed us up to March 13th. He made a second declaration again based on those fictitious numbers and he handed them a second victory. And those numbers were different. Um, the numbers he gave them a victory by on March 4th and the number he gave them a victory by on March um, 13th, those numbers varied. It wasn't identical. Mm -hmm. And so uh they ended up in in, a, in another court battle because of, of course the opposition is going to protest okay. um during that count might i add the international observers walked out um it was during that time while mr golding was witnessing that the our foreign free foreign affairs minister would have summoned all the international observers mm -hmm. um into a room and she would have issued some threats okay. um, to revoke their accreditation because, of course, they were seeing what was happening. And so they had denounced it. And so they, too, were demanding that this guy publicly display what he is required to by law. And mm -hmm. so naturally, that didn't sit well with the, with the government. And so she issued a threat um, to revoke their electoral observer accreditation. Um, Mr. Golding um was part of that group you know mm -hmm. um and so those observers said they weren't going to come to ghana to be disrespected i think it was mr onr mm -hmm. art or former um um Bayesian pm who said he wasn't going to be disrespected like that now he was the head of the commonwealth observer mission mr golding was the head of the oas mission mm -hmm. um and so because of those fraudulent activities of march 4th and 13th um, the electoral commission, the chairman of that commission, or the chairperson rather, um, she would have agreed to have a national recount of the votes. Now that was painstaking. That took 33 days, 
And so, oh, um, before it slipped me, on March 4th, after this guy introduced numbers that were departing significantly from what had obtained in the actual SOPs, the opposition party released their SOPs, the statements of poll, mm-hmm. via a website. And those SOPs would have showed that the opposition party won by 15,000 votes. Okay. And so they had their evidence that they had won the elections based on the numbers they received from the election commission, and they made those available via a website. Okay. Now, after the March 13th declaration was, um, you know, set aside and they embarked on the recount, the recount concluded in early June and... What you had when that recount started was the same party, which is the government. Now, every party would have agreed that the elections were free, fair, and credible. Mm -hmm. What you had at the start of that recount was a series of accusations that are still unsubstantiated, unproven. So the government embarked on a campaign to discredit the entire elections when the recount started so they started making these claims of dead people voting and people who are out of Guyana voting and um, it pollutes the entire electoral process and so on that basis um, you know the elections ought to be voided and so they continue that throughout the recount now the recount legally um, a CARICOM high-level team had uh, come to Guyana, travel to Guyana, and so they were overseeing the recount. Now, the president himself has repeatedly said that the CARICOM team is the most, and I'm quoting him here verbatim, he said that the CARICOM team is the most legitimate interlocutor, right, mm-hmm. of the recount. Now, you had this same party who's saying that CARICOM, that one, the polls were free, fair, and credible, they had now shifted their narrative to there were so many irregularities and vote impersonation and so um and so the polls must be voided and so when the ele- when the recount ended it showed that the that the opposition party indeed won by 15000 votes mm-hmm. the caricom the caricom high level team issued a report saying that there were minor anomalies but they were not significant enough to have affected the outcome or to have adversely affected the outcome of the elections. And so they are on the un- they are of the unshakable belief that the recount was transparent enough for a winner to be declared based on those those results. Okay. And so and so the government uh has resisted that. And so the same government which described the CARICOM high-level team as the most legitimate interlocutor, um, you know, embarked on this campaign to, again to discredit the CARICOM team. And so what they have been saying is that, oh, CARICOM has not, not observed enough of the boxes and they couldn't have known everything that was going on and a whole host of, um, you know, Understand, uh, understand. accusations and, yeah. and, and, and attempts at nullifying the contribution of the CARICOM team. Um, suffice to say, they are attempting two things, or they were, or still are, mm-hmm. rather. One, they're seeking to either have the polls nullified, okay. or they're looking for an outcome which hands them a victory. Now, the, uh, 
what happened after that recount is that the chief elections officer, which is the most senior official um, in the elections commission, mm -hmm. all right. So the elections commission is divided into two brand, uh, two two bodies. Okay. You have the commission, and the commission comprises seven commissioners. They sit at the top. You have the chairman and six commissioners, and then you have a secretariat at the bottom. Now the head of the secretariat is the the chief elections officer. He's answerable to the commission by law. What he did now, from those recount numbers, he invalidated 275,000 votes, hmm. most of which were votes for the opposition party. Okay. And so he handed the government a victory in his final report. And so actually his first report reflected the original numbers, which is that the opposition had won by 15,000 votes. But then he attempted... And in his second report, he invalidated 275,000 votes and he gave the government a victory. And so what the commission told him was that he cannot invalidate the votes. And so he needs to develop a proper report. He develops a second report and in his second report, he invalidates 115,000 votes, again, most of which were for the opposition party. And again, he hands the, the government a another another victory. Now, um, the chairperson for the commission would have told him that your numbers need to be need to reflect what the recount results show. You cannot take it upon yourself. You do not have the legal authority mm -hmm. to invalidate votes. Now, the law speaks specifically to that, right? And um, what the law says is that any allegations or any um, anomalies which exist and, and a party seeks to challenge it, they have to do so by way of an election petition. And mm -hmm. an election petition can only come after declaration of the winner. Mm -hmm. So this matter ended up in court again. And it ended up all the way to the CCJ, which is the Caribbean Court of Justice. And the Caribbean Court of Justice ruled explicitly on, I think, July 8th. Mm -hmm. And what it said was that it was unlawful for this guy to invalidate even a single vote. And so what he ought to do is to take the numbers that have already been certified during the recount and just put it into a report and so the declaration of a winner needs to be based on those numbers but he does not have the legal authority to invalidate votes or to remove votes neither does the election commission have the ability or authority or the capacity to investigate any allegations of fraud what needs to happen in keeping with the law is that those need to form part of an elections petition and of course it, the matter went back to the commission after the ccj ruled definitively <laughs> and so it went back to the commission so the only outcome now is for the chief elections officer officer to submit a report reflecting the numbers from the recount and so the government has again approached the courts they went to the high court just last week um saying that the commission doesn't have the authority to reject his report the ceo's report which invalidates vote and so they've completely shifted positions now and they've gone back to those march 13 declaration that fraudland declaration that was made on march 13 and they want the commission 
to announce a winner based on those numbers. And so the High Court threw the case out last week. The Chief Justice ruled that no, that declaration has been replaced by the recount and the recount shows certified numbers which have been validated and so any declaration made by the commission of a winner has to be based on those recount numbers in keeping with what the ccj ruled and so the chief justice threw the case out and then the government appealed the case again so now so today was the was the oral hearing at the court of appeal um, essentially, what they're asking the Court of Appeal to do is to allow the CEO um, to submit his report how he wants to, and that that report um, has to be accepted by the commission, which by law, which by law, the, the chief elections officer takes his directions from. So they're saying he cannot be challenged. And so whatever he gives to the commission, whether he invalidates vote, whether he adds vote, uh, which is the case in the March 13th declaration, because they added over 15,000 votes, I think, have were added, because in the recount, you can't account for those votes. They, if you add the numbers up, they're based on the March 13th declaration. The total number of persons who would have voted, according to them, is 475,000. Um, when you check the numbers from the recount, all the votes that were cast, including spoiled ballots, damaged ballots, valid ballots. It's only 400 and 460,000 people voted. So where, how can you logically get 475,000 votes if only 460,000 people voted? So that's what they're seeking, to have the Court of Appeal rule that um, the CEO, which is the Chief Elections Officer, cannot be challenged. And so whatever report he submits, has to be accepted by the commission. So that's where we're at right now. So, okay. <laughs> I know, it's Swap quite a So, based... I like this day of March. We still left on June. So, based on the recall that's happened in June, as of today, July 25th, yeah. there's no more word about the report. So it's like, nobody wants to do the report? Or the report... He has refused, you know, the elections commission has asked him has they have made four requests so far for him to submit his final report in the first instance uh he submitted the right report mm -hmm. um which showed that the opposition party won by fifteen thousand votes but then he proceeded when he was supposed to submit his his final report was when he made the unlawful attempt to invalidate first two hundred and seventy five thousand votes and then in his second attempt, they invalidate 115,000 votes um, on the basis that, you know, those votes were tainted by voter impersonation and, um, you know, uh, persons who were migrant voters and dead voters and these things. Um, I can I can say definitively because I've actually worked on stories where mm -hmm. some of these people who they have accused of being dead and being out of the country on election day and having voted, some of those people do not even own passports. Oh, hold on. Oh, it is man. that ridiculous. I... It is that ridiculous. Oh boy! All right. So um, <laughs> that was a lot to digest. You know, I just I thought it was voters fraud. You know, some people were, uh -huh. like that's what I thought. But this this deeper, mm -hmm. this deeper than the music at this point. This way deep. All right. So yeah. the next thing I wanted to get into, right, based mm -hmm. on. Yeah, so we finally understand like what 
happen, mm-hmm. right? We understand the confusion. We understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. We saw where, I think it's July? Yeah, early July. If Is it late June or early July? Mia Motley, who was at the time um, CARICOM chairman, she mm-hmm. came out and she said what's happening in Guyana is embarrassing. Um, the, the electoral committee need to take charge and fix everything and then we saw she got backlash from um mm-hmm. from persons was that is that backlash legitimate based on what she said because there were persons who were saying oh she do, she doesn't need to interfere in this let guyana be guyana like well as caricom chairman and with guyana being guyana being being a part of caricom isn't that can CARICOM itself as a body interject in that or not? All right. Um, I don't know the extent to which CARICOM is going to take action. CARICOM was supposed to meet, I think, on Tuesday um, or last week. Either this Tuesday or last Tuesday, they were supposed to meet to discuss uh, the issue, Mr. Ralph Gonzalez, who, well, Dr. Ralph Gonzalez, rather, my apologies, mm-hmm. um, who is who is the current chair, um, he he had spoken to the Secretary General for uh, CARICOM leaders to meet to discuss the ongoing issues because they're calling for a speedy end to it. Um, they are relying on the report submitted by their high-level team, um, which is that the recount was credible enough. It was thoroughly scrutinized. It actually wasn't even a recount. It was an audit. It was scrutinized to that extent that it, it morphed into an audit, right? Where mm-hmm. they scanned every ballot for security features and, and these things. And so you had the, the high-level team saying definitively that the recount was credible enough for the declaration of a winner. And so CARICOM is standing behind their team and that report mm-hmm. um i don't know the extent to which they're going to take action but what you have is a relentless attack on all those who would have issued statements calling for one either an acceptance of the results or two those who are staunchly opposing any attempts to thwart the will of the people okay. you had a senior government official um just about two days ago, issuing a very nasty um, statement online. Very, it it was polluted, um, you know, attacking uh, Dr. Gonzalez, attacking the CARICOM Secretary General about CARICOM not paying staff mm-hmm. and, and what CARICOM has been doing behind the scenes. And, and you have had this sort of relentless attack on regional leaders, on international leaders, you know, um, and 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 quite frankly, it's it's embarrassing. I think I speak for most Guyanese when I say mo. I say most, mm-hmm. um, and not all, of course. But I think I speak for most Guyanese when I say this is an embarrassing period for Guyana. You know, to see that our leaders are, uh, you know, on public forums and public platforms, they're the vitriol and 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 you know all these attacks on decorated and, and renowned regional leaders. And so people like Mr. Bruce Golding were subject to that sort of attack. Um, you know, they attempted to discredit him when he said he saw naked attempts at rigging the election. They went after him and his credibility and what had happened 
um, under his his stewardship in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. They went after Gwen Arthur. They've gone after um, PM Motley. You know, they've gone a little after Dr. Rowley. Um, you know, and all these leaders they have been going after who have made definitive pronouncements saying that they will reject any attempts to rig an election and thwart the will of the people. And quite frankly, it's not... It's not a good sight as okay. a Guyanese. It's, it's very a, embarrassing. It's a, it's a beat and teach kind of kind of situation feeling right now. You speak yeah. out here and and you get attacked. Um, what what I want to mm -hmm. ask you as well, because this was a bit weird to me. Um, well, not mm -hmm. weird because Guyana is an oil producing country, but the what the twenty fifth. So last week, um, I know Mike Pompeo, who is the U.S. Secretary of State, issued a statement, yeah. um, calling um. David Granger to step aside, yeah. right? What's mm -hmm. the what what's the interest that the US have in Guyana? Would any outcomes of the election affect the relationship that the US have with Guyana? As to why they're paying this deep attention to what's happening in the country. So you have this narrative again. As I said, um as I've said, any leader who seeks to make any pronouncement on the election, uh, specifically those who are calling for an immediate end to the issues and for a declaration to be made, excuse, based on those certified results, which show that the opposition won. Uh, there is this new cry of sovereignty, and Ghana is a sovereign nation, and you know um, these countries have to respect the sovereignty of Guyana. And while I understand and I sympathize with that, I don't believe those pronouncements amount to any attempt at eroding our sovereignty or threatens our sovereignty. At the end of the day, what they're failing to understand is that those foreign powers and those intergovernmental organizations, such as CARICOM, the UN, OAS, they are the institutions that legitimize Guyana or legitimize any country within the global community. And so if you lack legitimacy there, it has serious implications for any country. So I don't subscribe to this whole, or they're threatening our sovereignty and these sort of things. There are fundamental principles um, of those institutions that we would have signed on to, CARICOM, um, UN. Embedded in those principles are um, in, in their charter are principles of, of democracy and respecting uh, the right of people to elect a government free and fair and these sort of things. And so if you're going to sign on to these things, then you have to abide by what those uh, charters require of you. And so if those institutions are going to make statements which uphold those principles, you can't attack them for that. You can't say they're eroding our, our sovereignty. Now, the U.S., Naturally, the U.S. has an interest in the Caribbean, and mm -hmm. we can't run from that. The U.S. has always had an interest in the Caribbean. Um, in Ghana, more so over the last five, six years, because, um, you know, Ghana has become an oil-producing country. And so what I can say is that the posture of the U.S. and Ghana has not changed. It has not changed. Uh, while you're going to find this layman narrative, um, of, oh, the U.S. has interest in Ghana because of our oil. With or without oil, the U.S. has always had interest there. When the opposition party was in government prior to 2015, they had not held local government elections in 
I think it was close to two decades or just over two decades. And the U.S. was relentless in their um, in their attempt to, to hold that opposition government, well, the now opposition when they were in government, to hold them accountable to those principles of, of democracy. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. was so forefront in their fight for democracy in Guyana and for the government on both sides to respect the will of the people that you had an opposition. Well, she's now in the opposition, but you had, when the opposition was in government, you had one of their senior ministers attending an event hosted by the U.S. ambassador, and she gave him a, what you call a feral blast, a verbal whipping at the man's residency, asking the man to stay out of Guyana's affairs and all these things. Why? Because he was calling for the government to hold, the government, which is now the opposition, to hold the local government election. And you had a very government who's in office now. They were in opposition at that time. And they celebrated those things. They would have celebrated when the U.S. was holding the opposition, the now opposition, accountable. When the U.S. was demanding that they hold elections and that they not prorogue the parliament and all these things that had happened, you had the now government celebrating those things. They didn't see those things as, as, a, as a violation of our sovereignty and so so these are mere talking points that, personally, I believe these are what they have to feed their supporters in order to take comfort in whatever is is happening now. Because I can tell you that it's the odds are against them. You know, it's it's highly unlikely you're going to find the entire international community uh, and more than I would say seventy percent of Guyana supporting wrong. It's highly un- unlikely. Not a single country. And, and I say this definitively, I cannot be challenged on this because it's a fact. Not a single country has come out and supported the governments, the APNU, AFC government, not a single one. Because the evidence is, is too glaring that they were attempts to thwart the will of the people and to rig the election in their favor. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it, is, it is glaring that they are attempting to hold on to power you know, at all costs, using the courts and these things keep running to the courts and stuff. All right. Um, all right. So what exact, all right, what is the impact um, that the, this whole election drama will have? Right. What is it having now currently um, in the country? Because um, we have Corona happening, um, the economy as usual, like what's the impact that, the non-declaration of a, of, a, of, a, of a winner of the election has done. Unfortunately, um, I'm not on the ground to experience it fully, but mm-hmm. I can say from the little that I know and that I've heard and that I've read, mm-hmm. that um, it's not a good sight. It's not a good sight, and I'm pretty sure for most of Guyana, it's not a good feeling either, um, economically and socially. Uh, I say economically because... We're almost in the three quarter of the year, and we're without a national budget for 2020. Oh, and it doesn't, there's no budget for 2020, right? Mm-hmm. And the year is almost three quarter way in. Um, the COVID response is atrocious. We have the highest per capita rate in the region, right? Our death toll is slowly climbing. Every day we're recording on average three, five, seven cases every day, mm-hmm. right? consistently and why is that because you have the same top officials in the government who are too occupied with the whole electoral issue 
spearheading the national response, um, the COVID response, the national response strategy. And so they, their attention is more geared towards the electoral issue as opposed to adequately responding to the health, the public health needs of the country. And so you don't have proper enforcement of rules. Uh, you don't have a robust policy which addresses every area of public health. You know, um, and so for me, um, you know, the the COVID response strategy has been woefully lacking and grossly inadequate. Um, so that's where we're at. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's it's not necessarily a pleasant sight. Mm -hmm. And I sure the reputation um, of the country would um. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is <laughs> it's been affected. All right, and in our closing moments, well, in our closing moments, right? So, mm -hmm. you basically said from the inception, um, this youth was supposed to show the, the, the numbers before it was tabulated, right? Yeah. Right? And then that's where the whole drama started. Like, that's the that's pilot of the whole soap opera looking yep. forward to future elections right what's the recommendations mm -hmm. going in and based on this experience that happened how are future mm -hmm. elections going to look in your opinion of course these institutions for me need to be reformed mm -hmm. um there is an infiltration of these institutions with people who are way too aligned to the party Okay. I came across an article recently, the same chief elections officer guy, the guy who invalidated first 275,000 votes and then 115,000 votes to hand the government um, a victory, well, well, two victories rather. I came across an article recently where this guy would have benefited from state lands, which oh, wow. uh, poor farmers would have been applying for for years. And those were given to him a few hundred acres of land he benefited from under this government. He would have served in the military under the current president because the president is an ex-military official. And so he, this guy served under him. Now, I'm not trying to imply, even though it sounds that way, that, um, you know, that because he served under him, his loyalty is with him but i mean based on his actions one can only conclude that mm -hmm. you know he, he he is compromised he is compromised at least five or six contesting political parties have already called for his removal you know so these institutions i think they they, they need to be restructured and reorganized um and and a lot of those issues and i'll say this unapologetically um you know, a lot of those issues stem from the fact that we have our, our politics is is sharply divided along racial lines. You know, oh. um, I'm sure someone listening to me speak and I can say this. I'm sure someone listening to me speak um, if they support the other um, well, support the government, they're going to assume that because I'm Indian, I'm speaking for the for the opposition party because it's an Indo-dominated party, you know. But oh. I hold no brief for the party. Oh. I've wait, never wait, benefited wait. from the party. Wait, 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 wait. I um. One minute, one minute. <laughs> this is news to me. So <laughs> I know about Trinidad. Um, you Trinidad <laughs> has their politics is somewhat tied towards your um ethnic background. You can see that based yeah. on. Guy, guy, I did not know that. So that guy has that as well. The opposition party, 
the opposition party, which the recount shows uh, that they would have won, that mm -hmm. is an Indo-dominated party. It has always been led by top Indian officials. Okay. Uh, of course, there are Blacks in, in the party too, naturally. You mm -hmm. know, the prime ministerial candidate is a, a Black person, but the presidential candidate is always an Indo-Guyanese because their support base okay. um, is Indian. Mm -hmm. The current government, they are an Afro-dominated party. Um, they attempted a coalition. They won in 2015, right, um, on this whole platform of honesty and decency and integrity um, and the removal of race politics. And to be quite honest, in 2015, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air, you know, to see a new paradigm, um, you know, emerging in Ghana uh, with regards to the elimination of, of race politics. And mm, the little progress that was made in 2015 by this government here, because it was the major Afro-dominated parties um, party coalescing with uh, some smaller, well, a smaller Indo-dominated party. And so they would have forged a deal uh, with some multi-ethnic coalition. And so, you know, after that, everything just crumbled. And now we're back to the same, you know, divisive politics with Indians against Blacks. And, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just really sad. So a lot of this has to do with ethnic triumphalism, you know. Okay. Indians generally, they, if you ask the average Indian person, they're going to tell you they don't want to see a black person in office. They don't believe, you know, um, they can lead the country properly. And if you ask the average black person, they're going to tell you, you know, any good Indian is a dead one, you know. So that's that's the kind of narrative we have emerging. And so that's why the politics is, is really bitter. And that's why you have this um, resistance um, on both sides to either side getting into government. Oh, wow. All right. Wow. Well, <laughs> well, did I learn today? <laughs> All right. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the episode. Um, Ravin, before we close out, is there any last statements you want to make? Um, um not at this point. Um, I guess the only thing I'll say, I'll echo the sentiments of our foreign affairs minister who told the AOS recently, oh yeah, sorry. Who told you, um, oh yes, recently, you know, just keep Ghana in your prayers. <laughs> understand understand but um thank you for coming on this was um this was a lot um now i gonna lie to you for 15 minutes cannot take me out like why it is it really is but um i'm sure mm -hmm. listeners um are very thankful for clearing up because i don't yeah you see because everything happened so fast i don't think a lot of people understand what what actually happened so definitely uh -huh. definitely big up yourself for that like really thank you for that um let me just no say to problem. our listeners as well our next episode um will be about the trinidad election you understand because their election is august 10th and we'll have somebody who's coming on to speak about that so we're going to Guyana, we're going to go to Trinidad next, and then back to regular programming with Jamaica and their politics, which is messy. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I'm really not excited to touch at this moment. But um, yeah, Ravin, thank you again so much for listening, for coming on, um, for sharing yes, your knowledge and your opinions about what's happening in the country. And yeah, as you said before, um, for all the persons who are religious, definitely um, hold um, Guyana in your prayers because. 
I mean, anything that affects one country in the Caribbean affects all, right? Especially in this delicate space that we're in. So, yeah, um, and prayers to you guys. And, yeah, we're just going to end with Vibes Cartel, you know? <laughs> all right. And be safe, guys. Hey,